The Big Footy Port Adelaide podcast is proudly sponsored by New Vision. My team, Kanda, power. I love the power. I love the power. G'day everyone and welcome to the Big Footy Port Adelaide podcast brought to you live on Port Fan Radio. I'm your host, Macca19, and joining us once again for Monday night is uh, Fishing Rick. Yay! How's it going, Macca? What a win. Yeah. I like this win business. It's uh, it's a welcome change, I've got to say. It is a welcome change and uh, it's a change that I'm enjoying. This whole playing well and uh, dominating teams and actually providing defensive pressure, it's, uh, it's great. Oh, you know, it brings me back to when we started this program. You know, the first two years were pretty good because we, uh, you know, we were running on a high and, and then we had two years of a drop yep. and, uh, and it was starting to get a bit of hard work at times, wasn't it? But... Uh, yeah, it's refreshing again to uh, to see uh, an informed side, and I'm very excited for this weekend. Very, very excited. It's going to be a massive showdown. The first time the two teams have been uh, first and second. It's almost happened a couple of times in the past, but uh, we've not had a uh, top of the top of the ladder uh, showdown before. So it should be very exciting. Already had the uh, All Adelaide Grand Final discussion after two rounds <laughs> today. So. Uh, there's some optimistic Port and Adelaide supporters at the moment. Good, good. Get your grand final tickets now, boys. Yes, hold on to the seats and let's see what happens. That's it. Right, let's uh, go on to our love and hate. One thing we loved, one thing we hated about Port Adelaide on the weekend. Uh, Rick, what was your love, mate? Well, I gave it away on the forum today. My love is the back panel of back our panel. jumper. Okay. I did... Yeah, I saw the boys run out and you were above me, so you would have seen it too. And yep. I actually thought we were wearing the prison bar jersey for a little bit there. Mm. And, uh, it, the, yeah, they've gone back to that complete replica of the back panel, which is uh, awesome. I, I'm starting to like it more and more, I've got to say. When I first saw it, I was like, uh, it sort of ruins the all-black Guernsey, which looks pretty bloody mean, I've got to say. Uh, but the more I see the back panel, the more uh, the memories getting jogged of uh, years gone by and uh, premierships past, and uh, yeah, starting to like it more and more. Yeah, no, nah. I mean, I guess for us old old schoolers, I mean, because you're ten years younger than me, but you, mm. you've got an amazing memory of the history. Um, but uh, you know, but I'm not over the hill compared to like Port Fairlane in 1954 <laughs> by those boys, but. Um, yeah, it, uh, it brings back memories for me of the 80 Magpies, that's for sure, and and uh, I love it. So, it. Uh, yeah. No, that's a good love. I like that one. What about mine yours? Is, uh, mine is our defensive unit. How massive have they played the first two weeks? Um, and, you know, this yes. is a group that consists of three players who've played bugger old footy, really. Like, Cleary's played 20 games, Burn Jones has played 22, and Dan Houston in his second game. Um, and they've just been an absolute rock down there. They've defended strongly, they've used the ball effectively, coming out of the back line, and uh, ended up with one of the most complete defensive performances we've seen in the last three years, I think. And uh, you can add the midfield to that as well. They push back super strongly and force so many turnovers uh, all over the park. Uh, it was great to see. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, obviously, we're, we're, we've got to assume that's the Nathan 
Bassett influence. Um, why has he been able to do it this year and not in last year, for example? Because, I mean, I'm trying to... Last year, what was... Is this his third season with us now or second? Second. 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 Without knowing what he's obviously trying to do, it's hard to really answer that question, but maybe it's just something that has taken the, the players a bit of time to understand exactly what their role is defensively all over the park. And it's something we certainly struggled with last year, uh, yeah. was getting the systems right, getting the structures right, getting exactly um, where our zone should be. But it looks like we've we've worked on that a lot over the summer. And yes. um, certainly for the first two rounds at least, uh, it looks like our zone has been in the right position and we're yeah. able to uh, really shut down whoever's uh, carrying the ball for the opposition. Well, I guess talking about that too, we... Um, pre-season, um, Stewie Cochran was in the uh, the locker room being interviewed before the game. Yep. And you know how it was reported that we didn't do any, um, what was it, pre-season practice, you know, for most of the pre-season. That was the rumour going around. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, so what he highlighted was that, I think, it, I think the context was a little bit skewed with that uh, interpretation because what he was saying is he, they actually... Um, withheld the contact training component uh, component of training to later in the season, okay. um, pre-season, because they were trying to minimise the injuries of body contact training, which they had from previous seasons, So, which obviously seems to have worked so far. Yeah, no, that's right. Uh, a but couple of messages on the Spreaker chat. Dylan has said that uh, the back panel looks better on a team um, as opposed to just an individual, and I've got to agree with that. And uh, Porsche said, uh, because we're playing a tall side, contested last-minute physical football can work. And it has. Absolutely. Mm. And, well, is the, are we saying the Crows are a tall side as well? Uh, I'm not sure they're... Well, they're certainly tall up forward. I'm not sure their midfield is all that tall. No. But, uh, I mean, that's a different conversation, but I actually think that will be to our advantage this week. Yeah. But anyway. Well, hope, hopefully... Let's hope so. Yes. Did you have Who's a hate doing... this week, man? Who's doing Thursday? Who's doing it? Yeah. I don't know. Porsche and one of us, I suppose. Uh-huh. Mm. Interesting. Indeed. Anyway, did I have a hate? Yes. Um, I don't know. It's really hard. Not much to hate this week, is there? There's not a lot to hate. I've got two. I've got, oh, I've, I've got one that we didn't get 40,000 people to the game. Yeah, that was a bit disappointing, I thought. But, yes. uh, you know, it was a pretty nice day. Uh, nice weather, not too warm, not too cold, not all that windy. But, uh, yeah, couldn't crack the 40. I uh, thought we would have done that, but uh, the Crows in round one only got 43, which is probably a little bit under for them as well. So, I don't know, maybe it's just um, the are start we, of the are, year. Are we putting it down to the country folk that couldn't travel again? Is, is that what it is? But... <coughs> It's, uh, I don't know, yeah, I just would have thought well, with our supporters and after the win against Sydney, um, yeah, 40 uh, over 40 would have been a, uh, a reasonable crowd to expect. That would have been nice, but uh, nevertheless, uh, hopefully we can uh, pack the house full of Port fans this week instead. Well, did you take three kids to the game? Two kids no. to the game? No. No kids to the game? But they don't have seated memberships, mate. Okay. They're too young. But... Right. Well, that's why, that's why I asked you, because, like, is it a parent thing? Is it too hard as a parent to take 
younger kids to that Sunday game? Is that part of the well, reason? I guess if you've got school the next day, uh, I live two and a half hours away and I didn't get home until, I think, 10 o'clock, quarter past 10. So, you know, if, if you're taking young kids and you live uh, a fair distance away, you might maybe choose to miss this one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's a tough cold, but yeah. No. What's your hate, man? You got two. I've got two. The first one, I've got to say, very annoying Port Adelaide Footy Club that uh, last Thursday night we obviously had the pre- the preview podcast. So I said, Brett Eddy is going to be the X Factor. He's going to kick five goals. It's going to be a breakout performance. Then I think at 9 a.m. the next morning, we find out he's dropped. Thanks very much. <laughs> <laughs> and it, and he, did, he could have kicked five, two goals, three. Yeah, he could have. He could have. That's right. And my other yeah. one is um, I hate that we have to try and find a way to fit Hartlett and uh, Pittard into the team this week because there's going to be two desperately unlucky players who get dropped and quite honestly, like no one deserves to be dropped off the back of that performance. Well, is there, a, is there justification with Jasper coming back from injury that he should play one game in the, the reserves, if there is a reserve game, before uh, coming back into the squad? Possibly. I mean, I think the Maggies play this week, but... Look, someone's going to be uh, unlucky. I mean, I wouldn't mind. Like, I guess Polek's got a questionable foot. Uh, maybe we drop Polek and uh, and bring Pittard in and play him, play him on a wing instead. Well, Polek looked pretty good in the change rooms after the game. He didn't, he didn't seem too concerned because he was mm. right in front of me chatting to friends and there was no pointing at the foot and limping around and, and all that sort of stuff, so... Yeah. I think there's a bit of uh, skullduggery going on there, and uh... look, whoever whoever drops out of the side is going to be hard hard done by because Amon's played really really well, Ben Jones has played really well, uh, Eddie was the the late inclusion. He might be the obvious one to come out first. And you know, I think our forward line looks really bloody good with him in the team. Dan Houston hasn't put a foot wrong down back. It would be very harsh if he fell out of the side. I mean, someone's got to come out, I guess. Maybe Impy, I don't know, but you know, we probably need his run against the Crows because they're they're a very quick side. Um, yeah, it's go, it's going to be hard. I just think the calls for um, Houston to be removed so quickly is a bit risky because I think people, those people that are saying that are really underestimating his influence out of the back lines. I mean. Uh, his efficiency is amazing, and his just yeah, you know, his decision making is fantastic as well. And you know, he's such a composed man. I, I would be really reluctant to uh, to remove that from our back lines at this point in time. Yeah, absolutely. Look, he deserves to stay in the side. He's played absolutely fantastically back there. Um, he was wonderful again on the weekend. Uh, didn't put a foot wrong. Um, but you know, Pittard's obviously a very very good defender. Uh, provides a lot of run, a lot of carry. Uh, don't know. Not too sure what's going well, to happen there, but uh, that's uh, that's why the coaches get the big bucks, I guess. Where And where was Amon playing? Was he on the half-forward flank? He looked to be on a forward flank slash the wing, and uh, I thought he played a really, really good game. He did. Uh, he was a little I... bit quiet in the first uh, game against Sydney, but uh, I think he had 18 touches, and his defensive pressure... Uh, which a lot of people have sort of criticised over the last couple of years. I thought it was through the roof on the weekend. Uh, yeah. He played bloody well and uh, bloody tough as well. Yep. 
And I think this is the game not to uh, not to drop it, Eddie either. I think uh, I think him as a as that third tall is definitely uh, worth persisting with for the Crows. So yeah, I well, think no, certainly I'd certainly with go, the Crows uh, because the Crows we know play the four tall forwards. So more likely we're going to have to throw Trengove down back again this week um, to match up on one of those tall forwards. Um, we, and if we drop Eddie, like suddenly Dixon's going to be absolutely hounded by their defenders. So, correct. I think Eddie absolutely has to stay in the side. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I'd, I'd still probably go Sam Gray. I just think I'm not convinced of him with the the big pressure games. He uh, he doesn't seem to perform. I mean, it was hard. Like the the Frio game, there was a lot of. Uh, there wasn't as much uh, intensity there, and you know, in the years, last two years gone by, he, uh, Sam Gray goes a little bit missing, um, you know. But again, like I'm on, he's a he's more a half forward flanker, and we're talking about two half back flankers, aren't we? With Jasper Pittard and uh, Hamish Hartlett. Yeah. So Although I thought you know, Gray had a pretty good game. You know, he had what 22 touches, eight score involvements, kicked a goal, uh, seven inside fifties. Like he did his job. Yeah, I, I agree. So did Amon as well. I, I'm just saying, over the journey of the last couple of years, um, Gray's been inconsistent and he doesn't stand up in the big games. And I guess that's why I would be more inclined to probably remove him. But as I was saying, we're discussing two two half-forward flankers primarily to be replaced yeah. by two half-back flankers, which, which doesn't really work. No, so, that's right. So going by well, that... Honestly, logic, I would be very happy to go in unchanged this week. Absolutely. I'd say and you bad know luck, what? boys. Uh, you can wait an extra week. Well, not not just that. Bad luck, boys. You know the team's performing well, and you know you lost your spot due to injury, so you need to work work it back. That's it. You know? And let let the boys um, do something wrong before uh, they come back in. And I mean, people could argue that's crazy. They're they're senior players, and they need to come back in, but. Um, you know, sometimes you've got to reward form, no matter how many games that have been played. And you know, if they're putting their bodies on the line and they're performing well, well then you know, the senior players shouldn't have um, given their spot up through injuries. Yep, well, that's a fair call. We'll move on to some questions. Uh, the first one's by Glitch, uh, who was asked, uh, can we afford to have both Amon and Impy in the same team? Uh, both tend to fade in and out of the game a bit, but uh, are capable of some brilliance. Can't see why not. They did all right on the weekend. <clears throat> Absolutely did all right on the weekend. Impey came in, and uh, I was a bit critical of him coming straight back into the team. But, he, again, he played really well, I thought. 19 touches and a goal. Uh, provided a lot of run. That was probably his best game of footy, I think, uh, since the Collingwood game, his breakout game last year. Um, and, look, I, you know, they both add pace. They both add a bit of skill uh, and a bit of X factor to the team. So... I think we can definitely play both in the same team. Absolutely. I agree with you completely. Nothing to uh, to argue with there. No more and, and really, we need their speed. We do, absolutely, definitely. And they do provide a lot of that, which is great. Um, yes. Port85 has asked, uh, have you guys noticed any significant change in midfield tactical approach this year or is our improvement in contested footy simply down to the personnel in the midfield? Well, I think it's uh, the fact that we've got a winning Ruckman um, mm-hmm. in uh, Paddy Ryder. And I think it's also the fact that we're we're going in with three big body, pretty much inside midfielders. You know, especially it Sam helps, Powell. doesn't it? 
Yeah, Sam Power Pepper and uh, obviously Ollie Wines and even Brad Ebert. Um, you know, it's I think that's the difference. You know, yeah. I mean, it's always been a question mark whether Boat or Gray you would question as pure inside midfielders or not. But um, you know, it's uh, yeah, it's that body size I think makes a big difference. And I mean, that's not, yeah, I mean that's something I've seen uh, Russell Weaver Handball calling out for for years. You know. We need some bigger inside grunt midfielders, and that's what we've got. And with a winning Rutman, it's amazing what we can do. Oh, no doubt. And look, you know, there's been games over the last couple of years where we've had both Sam Gray and Kane Mitchell uh, starting in the centre square uh, for some stoppages. And, you know, they're both uh, about 170 centimetres combined. So, you know, it certainly helps when you've got uh, Brad Ebert and uh, Power Pepper and, you know, these taller mids uh, that are running uh, through the guts at the moment. And, uh, you know, very strong bodies and capable of winning a lot of contested bowl. And that's one area where we've absolutely struggled in the last uh, two, probably three years. Um, and it's a welcome change at this early stage. Absolutely. And, I, you know, and I think, uh, and that's where I think our advantage can come from this week against the Crows is I, I think those midfielders are going to be uh, significantly bigger than the Crows midfielders. And we could probably... Uh, exert our influence there, especially if uh, Ryder breaks even at least in the ruck, if yeah. not wins the ruck. So, uh, yeah, it's it's great to see. And, uh, yeah, I'm very excited to see what they can continue to do uh, throughout the season. And I think that's the difference. To answer the question, I think that's the difference. Yeah. Is there a different tactical approach? I'm not too sure. I think we're definitely going in a lot harder. We, we do look a little bit fitter than what we've been at this stage over the last couple of years. And, Looks like a lot of players are running on, on top of the ground a bit easier. Um, so they're able to attack the ball a bit quicker and get to the contest quicker as well, which uh, certainly helps um, in how we've played. Would you remember the, the first showdown at Adelaide Oval? Um, I guess we weren't favourites. And, uh, and then we and just, we ran just them came off their feet. And, we just, that's, and that's how the boys are looking now. Yeah. So I've I've got the I've got the footy on mute from Sunday because obviously I haven't had time to watch the replay and uh, mm. yeah what how they're playing now is basically how to me how they played that first showdown at Adelaide Oval they yeah. they're looking fast and they've got just that manic defensive pressure um, and that's really what you know to spoil the uh, the conversation of the game but that's really what brought Frio down in that first quarter quarter was our our team defensive pressure and how we just did not give them time and space and they crumpled from that and yeah uh, yeah, we haven't had that for the last couple of seasons we've just looked flat and we've looked heavy in the boots and uh, yeah it's just amazing the difference absolutely Uh, Sog35 has asked uh, whose early season form has surprised you the most um probably uh, probably Dan Houston yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I thought his uh, pre-season was pretty solid, but you know, to translate that to into the um, home and away season, still a step up again, isn't it? Especially when it's under it you know, pressure. Mm. And I mean, that guy's been amazing. I mean, from what I read today, you know, we drafted him as a forward, and he was playing forward last year, and uh, you know, to come in as a defender, and you know, and you know, from what people have said, he. Or what Facet said, he, he, he's quite anxious about it. You know, he's amazing. He's been an amazing kid for us, a bit like Darcy Byrne Jones was last year. Yeah, um, yeah. So he's probably my answer to that one. No, that's a good answer, and I, I would certainly agree. He's been the surprise packet. I think um, 
certainly in the back of my mind, I was just hoping that he would just sort of hold his own a little bit until sort of Pittard came back or something like that. But as we've mentioned, he's almost made himself undroppable. He's he's been that good down there, um, and he was an absolute superstar on the weekend again. Uh, who surprised me the most? Probably Ebert playing that inside role, um, which he's never really done full-time before. But he's looked phenomenal uh, playing that type of game, uh, which is great. And uh, Tommy Jonas, I'm going to throw his name out there as well. I thought he was really good, really solid again on the weekend. Um, We know he's got his critics. Um, We've all been critical of of how he's played the last couple of seasons. but he's really gone back to his best form of 2013, 2014, when he was one of our most reliable players. And, you know, he's, uh, he was certainly uh, super reliable on the weekend again. i tell you what, I saw him in the change rooms after the game, and he's built like a tank. He is a big boy. He is a Very big boy. big boy. I mean, he's not much taller than me, but he's a, he is a solid unit. He, he's, <laughs> I can see why he's... Uh, a very good defender because, uh, yeah, he's got a big body mass on him for a, for a not a tall guy. And, uh, yeah, and as you pointed out last week, he's he's doing very well at the moment. Yeah. A couple of comments on the speaker chat. Porsche has said that um, we've got the personnel to execute the game plan if we name all the big mids and flankers. Uh, this is better than 2014 because we're running through, not running around, which is a good point. James Murray agrees about Houston. And Porsche also says uh, her choice would be Polek for getting his shit together. He's gone from wildly inconsistent outside to where he's now huge, which uh, is a very good point as well. Absolutely. And I guess what I noticed from like behind the goals, and you would have seen it better than me, Macca, with your spot, was um, you know, he's, he's working hard for that one-two, but he's also, once he's distributed, he's putting his body on the line to block as yeah, well. That's right. So he's doing the complete game. Which, yes. you know, which is what he was doing in 2014, but he's just doing it even better. Yeah, that's it. Uh, yeah. AFL 2004 has asked, uh, have our skills improved or ha- has our ball movement and not having to chase arsehole game uh, been the reason we look more polished at the moment? Well, what's your answer to that one? I think the skills... Uh, it certainly looks like the skills have improved. Um I mean, we're still making some silly errors now and again, but um, I think the way that we're moving the ball from the back line through to the forward line has improved. I think the way that we're moving the ball out of stoppages has improved. And I think our um, our forward entries are no longer very predictable. Uh, we're changing them up and we're hitting targets, uh, which is very important, obviously. I wonder if it's just that we're also, because we're winning the, the contest more, which I guess goes into that not chasing tail, uh, but also the fact that we're just making better decisions. That's what, to me, that's yeah. what it seems like. You know yep. what I mean? Because I, um, yeah, I mean, I've, my biggest bugbear in the, over the last couple of years has been, my God, what'd you do that for? You know, what's, what's with that disposal? And I, I don't recall really thinking that at all on Sunday. You know, we just made the, you know, the, the wise choice the bulk of the time and uh, which therefore is the easiest one but also the most effective <clears throat> well that's that's right I mean just going back to our uh, defensive transition a bit I mean last year how predictable were we from kick-ins you know we kicked it to the exact same spot just about every single kick-in for the whole year and yep. uh, just about every single time it came streaming back inside 50 again uh, whereas this time we're, we're making um, you know, we're changing things up. We're not predictable. Uh, we're moving the ball cleaner. 
Uh, we're not going for the impossible kicks. You know, we're we're sort of holding things back a little bit and making sure that we get the kick right, which I think is very important. Absolutely. Uh, Port Woolwich has asked, uh, coming into the draft end last year, the question mark over Pau Pepper was his disposal efficiency. Uh, were the doubters completely wrong, or was this a result of a good pre uh, preseason with focus on skills? Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> really? I mean, he's doing well for us so far, so who really cares? He's yeah. uh, on a high, he's looking confident, he's looking aggressive, and, uh, you know, I'm sure the experts of the AFL clubs all had their reasons for having their doubts. And uh, I guess we we saw something and were willing to take the risk and, uh, you know, we're the benefactors of it. So, yeah. you know, it's almost like when Jacko fell to, what was it, 22 in the draft order mm. when he was touted as the top 10 pick. Back then, all those teams didn't have the courage to pick him because of the injury, and we did, and we've, uh, we've uh, borne the fruit from that. Yeah. I will say, and I said it at the time last year as well through the draft podcast that we did, um, that his uh, the queries over his disposal were a bit overrated. Like, I think people went a little bit overboard on it. His kicking was never as bad as what was made out. Um, and it was coming from the more sort of amateur punters as opposed to from the... You know, the, the the commentators and that sort of thing. So I don't think his disposal efficiency was ever as bad as what it was made out to be. Um, but it certainly looks like he's worked a lot on his kicking over the preseason as well. And look, he's, um, he's a monster at the moment. He is a monster and he's exciting. And very exciting. Yeah. Very, I'm very loving, exciting. I'm loving, you know, for a second game player, his, um, his physical aggression. And, you know, I just... And it's not because they're both Aboriginal, but the only one I can think of in recent times to compare him to is uh, Byron Pickett. Yeah, I mean, Choppy's probably the, the most recent physical player we've had that's almost like him, in a way. Um, you know, it was just unfortunate for Choppy that he, uh, you know, the rules... Oh, uh, well, well, I guess it was more the rules just transitioned to him you know, near the end of his career, so it was hard yeah. for him to... You know, to change his uh, the way he went about or his pattern of behaviour. Whereas, you know, SPP is um, he's sort of grown up with the new rule changes, so he's been able to learn how to be physically present uh, without compromising uh, himself with the rules, I guess. But I'm just I'm just enjoying it. I, I'm glad he didn't connect with Fife in the first quarter. Otherwise, we might not have had him this week. But um, yeah, it's just it's, it's an, he's an exciting player. I love his physicality and. Yeah, I love the fact that he's rubbing it into the Frio players yeah. after kicking a goal or knocking them over. And, uh, you know, yeah. the other players are going to feed from that aggression too. Oh, for sure. Yeah, no doubt about that. Uh, Capital Power has asked, uh, who comes out for Pittard and Hartlett? And how on earth do you tell them that they're dropped? Well, I think we've already spoken about that one. We, we've, got no, we've got no answer to that one, but I'd, I'd, probably, uh, I'd probably only bring one back in, to be honest. Oh, I'd, as I said, I'd prefer to leave it unchanged and I'd be telling Pittard and Harlett via uh, ICQ or Yahoo chat that uh, they're out this week. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. But, uh, yeah, I mean, especially Pittard, you can justify making him earn it a week. I think so. I mean, Harlett... Well, look, I mean, Ken's said that Pittard's going to play this week, so it's pretty clear he's going to play, I think. Um, well... But he loves Jasper, doesn't he? So he does. He's a very good player. 
Um, it's, just, it's just everyone's played well the last two weeks. So what do you do? But, well, uh, I mean, the lo- the logical one is it would should be position for position. So it should be Houston and Darcy Byrne Jones. Yeah. Really, that's but we the, know that's that Ben Jones is a key part of our defensive lineup at the moment. Um, yeah, Look, I agree. I, I don't, I don't envy the the decision at all. But we'll leave that one there because we've spoken about it a fair bit now. But yeah, um, yeah, not sure what they're going to do there. But uh, anyway, that's enough for the questions, and we'll go straight to the review. And uh, Port Adelaide played Frio yesterday afternoon in front of thirty eight thousand people, and. Uh, Came away with one of our most dominant performances under Ken Hinckley, winning by 89 points, uh, 22 goals, 13 to 8 goals, 8. Robbie Gray kicked uh, 6 goals. Uh, Charlie Dixon added 4, whilst uh, Brett Eddy, Chad Wingard and Ollie Wines all kicked 2 goals each. Mate, what a performance. Absolutely. It was fantastic. And like, like you and I have both said, you, you highlighted the... Uh, the team defensive structure, which has been amazing, yeah. and uh, and then I followed that on with the uh, you know just the manic pressure that we applied to Fremantle, and they just weren't up to it. It's um, it's just uh, an amazing transition. I mean, that first quarter was uh, without it being a final. Was I think you made the reference, and you almost like the Richmond final. It was very similar, wasn't it? I mean, in terms of that manic pressure. And the way we played as a team, the whole game was very reminiscent of that Richmond final that day. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, I mean, look, we made Fremantle look insipid and we crushed them in that first quarter and uh, there was no coming back from them. And they gave up and uh, and they looked pretty soulless after that. And yeah. I don't know, a few people were a bit disappointed that we they thought we went through the motions, but I didn't think so. I mean... Frio put up a little bit of a battle, but we still won by 89 points. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty mean feat, and we didn't take the foot off the pedal. Yeah. Well, that's right. And look, we uh, we turned them into a bumbling mess, really. I mean, you look at uh, how their stars played, and I mean, David Mundy had, what, five touches to halfway through the third quarter. He was best on ground for Frio last week. Uh, Pierce had nothing. Uh, Lee Spur was struggling. Um, you know, Walters had a really dirty day. I thought, in front of goal. Um, Brad Hill got a lot of the footy, but he, I thought his first half was pretty poor. Uh, Gary Ibbotson made a lot of mistakes. Michael Johnson didn't do anything. Nat Fife got a lot of the ball again, but um, you know, a lot of his kicks were just sort of blind kicks out of packs. Like, you know, they weren't the real sort of damaging uh, disposals that we know he can sometimes do. But you know, mm. we, we really uh, stopped their run. We stopped their uh, skill level. Every time they looked up, there was one or two poor players, you know, charging in, ready to tackle, and uh, we just forced turnover after turnover, which was great to see. So, how how are we getting uh, our numbers back so quickly compared to uh, to last year, where we really struggled with that aspect of the game? Well, I think the midfield are just working for each other a lot more. You know, they know that. Um, there's a lot of careers on the line this year. What have we got, like 25 players out of contract or something? So, you know, there's a, there's a lot of careers on the line this year. There's a lot of people that are probably hoping they're going to get a big contract but and they need to perform to do that. Um, and, and I think they've worked really, really hard in the off-season. Um, they've come up with a game plan which, at this very early stage, uh, seems to work. Um, and they've gone back to what we were doing through 2013-14, which is uh, working very, very hard for each other and doing that sort of... Uh, full oval uh, defence. 
it's amazing when you've got a contract on the line how the hunger and passion increases. That's right. Yep. It certainly says, is. It says something for maybe not having uh, too many five-year contracts on your list. Yeah, that's right. But once but, again, I mean, it, it certainly helps when we get first uh, possession of the ball as well. Uh, more often than not, over the last couple of years, it's been the opponent which has got first touch and has been able to uh, get the ball out of the area, get going in their direction, which puts uh, the defence under a lot of pressure, uh, means the midfield has to run a lot harder as well. Uh, yeah. If we're the ones kicking forward more often than not, um, it means that our sort of defensive midfielders and the defence can set up uh, correctly uh, into the structures that they've been taught. So, uh, yeah. happy days at this point. It seems to be interesting. It's it's almost like a man on man zone these days, isn't it? I'm just I'm just watching the uh, the replay now as we're talking, and uh, yeah, you can because it's hard when you're low and behind the goals to to really see the structures. But yeah, um, yeah it just seems to be a lot of um, yeah a lot of man on man in that that sixty meter zone to try and clog up the play, play with the. Uh, Westhoff going back and that's the one I wanted to sort of talk to you about was Westhoff and hear what people's views are but you know I mean I was pretty critical of him last week and uh, and then when I and I think Thimbar brought it up as well on the board that um, um, you know is he actually playing as poorly as what I thought or is it more that he's putting himself in the right position and stopping the opposition actually going to him and t- making them go the long way to get around him and that's why he's not getting as much ball He's playing that sort of kick behind the play sort of role at the moment. I think he's doing pretty well. Uh, I thought he played pretty well on the weekend. Um, he hasn't been overly noticeable out there, uh, which I guess is both good and bad in some aspects. Um, but he just seems to be doing his job, which uh, is all you can ask. Absolutely. I mean, just at the end of that first quarter, that's what made me bring it up. Um, you know, Pierce went to go forward, but he couldn't because he, Westhoff was by himself filling the hole. So Pierce ended up having to go backwards, uh, like a 30-metre kick backwards to try and get around him. Um, yeah. Yeah, so obviously Westhoff's not going to get the ball in that situation, but he's also stopped Fremantle from actually going forward. So yeah, he's, he's won his position at that point in time of the game without actually influencing the, the ball itself. Yeah. All right, that's it. Let's talk about the forward line a little bit because they had a bloody good day as well. Um, Robbie Gray, just an absolute masterclass out there. 30 touches and six goals. I mean, that's uh, it's very, very rare these days for anybody to, or at any stage, really, for anybody to get those sorts of figures. Um, where does that sit in the best games by uh, Port Adelaide footballers? Mate, it's, um, it's really hard to compare, isn't it? I mean, you, you had Treadray against Richmond all those years ago. That was an amazing game. Uh, for a key forward. Um, look, I'm trying to think midfielder-wise. Maybe Roger James in the 2004 preliminary final. That, yeah, he had an amazing game without getting the goal scored. And yeah. I saw on the forum someone went back to the 70s and Lee Matthews with 41 disposals and 11 goals or something. But, yeah. um, I mean, it's an amazing... Is he, is he actually playing forward or is he playing... Midfield still because he played high half forward on the weekend. He swapped into the midfield a little bit, but he was certainly starting up forward most uh, or more often than not, and uh, was inside fifty more often than not as well. And to get thirty touches playing that sort of role is uh, is phenomenal. And turned up with six goals. Like he, as someone said on the forum today, like he could have easily ended up with a couple more because he got burnt a couple of times as he was streaming towards goal. 
And, and not only um, that, he, uh, and he, he gave off, off a couple as well. Yeah, he dished off one in the last quarter that I remember. You know, he yeah. could have he could have been selfish. And I think that's a, an aspect of the team at the moment. They are playing that complete team game. Uh, coming from the leaders, Travis Boak, you know, he could have had a shot and shared it to another player. I think it might have been Brett Eddy in the last. You know, Robbie Gray did it in the third. Um, yeah, so, um, yeah, I mean, it's that selfless act, especially from the leaders, which will then um, filter down to all the younger players too. So, uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, look, it was a great game by Robbie and uh, amazing performance, really. I mean, it's something you don't see very often at all. And uh, I just wonder, is is he the benefactor of us playing those big-body midfielders, especially early in the game, uh, you know, to allow the opposition midfielders to get a little bit bruised a bit more uh, for him to then go in and uh, be fresh and take advantage of that situation. Well, look, he's carried the team the last couple of years playing through the midfield, and we know how damaging he can be up forward and, and always has been throughout his entire career. And um, Ever since through sort of 2014 when he sort of learnt to, uh, to get you know, these obscene amounts of the footy, he's become such a, a great prospect to play wherever we want him to play. And as you said, to, to be able to start him up forward as uh, the bigger bodies cop the early hits and to bring him in sort of 15 minutes into the first quarter, into the midfield, when uh, people are getting a little bit tired and um, and he's up against maybe the opposition second string midfield. I mean, you're just laughing in that scenario. Mm. And I guess if we want to talk about um, forward, our forward line, uh, Aaron Young, how amazing is he in working his way through uh, the congested pack at the moment? Well, I guess it's those years where he was sort of uh, playing as a midfielder, as an inside midfielder, which has uh, certainly helped in that regard. I thought he was pretty quiet. I thought he had a blistering first term. Like His first term was awesome. Uh, probably should have ended up with three to quarter time. Um, then he sort of fell out of the game a little bit, I thought. Uh, it was a bit quiet until the last quarter, but um, I finally worked out who he reminds me of. Um, playing mm-hmm. up forward and uh, seeing the vision uh, pre-game of Clive Waterhouse who kicked uh, the uh, ceremonial first goal of the game he reminds me a lot of Clive Waterhouse <laughs> well here's, a, here's, a, here's something interesting for, for you uh, so my friend Nicole had her first game of uh, football yep. uh, this week and she says to me in the, uh, in the second quarter a girl's playing this game and I said, well, I don't think so. And she goes, you sure? I'm pretty sure there's a girl out there. And I'm like, do you? Where? She goes, oh, that number 11. And I was like, number 11, what, for Frio? And she goes, yeah. And she goes, no, no, the black team. And I laughed and I said, oh, you mean the guy with the man bun? Yeah. <laughs> well, that's it. So I think he needs an image makeover. Oh, he's a very attractive man, youngie. <laughs> I think he does it right for himself. Uh, with those feminine golden locks. That's it. Charlie <laughs> Dixon, um, was that the best game he's played for Port Adelaide? Because he, uh, he dominated out there. He took four big contested marks, kicked four goals as well. He, uh, he looked full of confidence. He looked amazing. He, uh, sorry, I was just having a half yawn there. Um, I was really excited by his game. I loved the fact that he clunked a few marks and I'm hoping that might give him some extra confidence coming into the showdown this week because obviously he's going to have a tough, tough ask with um, Daniel Talia. And, uh, yeah, so if he can come into the game with confidence and back in his marking ability, and I guess he's just the benefactor too of fast ball movement, isn't he? 
Yeah, that's true. You know, fast ball movement, forwards go hand in hand together. Uh, you know, with spearing passes instead of bombs on top of the head, uh, it makes a big difference. And, and it forces players like him to lead to the ball, which again makes a, a difference to uh, their marking ability. But he had good, strong hands. And uh, what did you think of his first quarter um, snap instead of a drop punt? I thought it was the the round, I mean, he kicked the goal, mm. but the around-the-corner uh, kick instead of the... Um, oh, it was a pretty the... tough angle, wasn't it? So sort of makes sense to do that from that, uh, that spot on the ground, I guess. Mate, uh, not a tough angle for Scotty Hodges, my friend. True, very true. Very true. Um, but I loved his game. Loved yeah. it. Do you think he was beneficial from the next person we're going to talk about, Brett Eddy, uh, who took a couple of marks, kicked uh, two goals, probably should have had maybe one or two more. Um, but I thought he was—he uh, played a really clever game out there. And everything he touch, everything he touches um, sort of ends up in something good for Port Adelaide, I think. You know, he's a very, very clever footballer. I like how he makes space. I like how he moves. Um... I thought he was okay. I didn't think he was as influential as what you thought, but that's not to say that I thought he was horrible. Um, I actually like him in our side. I think he adds that extra little bit of structure to our forward line as a natural forward to what we need. And uh, he's only going to get better with continued confidence by playing. Um, so I'd rather continue to see him in the side than, than not because I, I don't think he's a horrendous player at all. And, you know, if he can, if he can keep chipping away a couple of goals a game, well, he's doing his job. You know, he had five scoring shots, eight score involvements, um, and he just demands attention from a, a decent defender himself, which uh, you know clears the path for Dixon to have more influence as well. And that's what we need, and, and that's the risk by dropping him because he is a more natural forward than Jacko. And as you pointed out, we're probably going to need Jacko in defence this week. And I thought he, Jackson was great in defence after not being in there for a while. So, oh, he was great. You know, I think Dixon... Dixon really needs Eddie um, in the team to allow allow him a bit of chop out, and he might he might not have that luxury if Eddie's not playing. Yeah. Oh look, he uh, Trengove killed Griffin down back. I thought. Um, yes. You know, he just uh, he stopped him from having any sort of influence, uh, which was great. And uh, I thought he provided some decent uh, marking and, and a bit of carry as well with the bowl. And um, he is a very very good defender, Jacko. Absolutely. I love Jackson as a defender. I mean, uh, I, I think people, sometimes people forget and get a bit critical because he doesn't get any ball or as much ball, but he's there as a nullifier, and he does that very well. And uh, really, we don't want Jackson streaming out of defence, receiving a handball, do we? That's that's not really what he should be there for. He's there to nullify, stop take people taking marks, bringing the ball to ground, and, uh, and then the small players running it out. And... Yeah. Uh, or intercept marking. That's that's what he's there for. And, you know, that role's probably at best a dozen possession game. You know, but if he does that and his opponent only gets one goal or something like that, well, you know, he's won. So, uh, yeah. And he added that extra bit of height that we were worried about from last week. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, Ollie Wines. Um, his game was probably overshadowed by Robbie Gray's phenomenal. Uh, Phenomenal performance, but you know him himself. He had 31 touches, a couple of goals, six clearances. I think he had something like nine score involvements as well. Um, he really looks like he's uh, raised his game an extra level this year. Beastly, beastly, amazing. 
uh, in the contest. Watching it now, it looks like his disposal's tidied up a little bit as well, which everyone was really critical of. Um, I actually I actually had him third best on ground behind Jared Polwick because I was a big fan of Jared's game on yeah. the weekend. I thought Jared was instrumental in our ball movement and uh, an overlap run and his disposal was amazing. Um, but yeah, Ollie Wines was uh, again fantastic, and it does make you wonder if whether if he is maybe the the captain in waiting. Well, quite possibly. I mean, he's probably next in line. You would think he's the vice captain at the moment, and um, you know he, he kind of stagnated a little bit the last year or so. Um, but he has really now pushed into sort of elite company, I think. And if he can play this way all year, there's no doubt he's going to be all Australian and. Uh, be right up there for the Brownlow, you would think, uh, with this sort of form. And I guess that's the challenge for him is to uh, to perform on the, the way he did on the weekend a good sort of 14 or 15 times this year. Oh, look, I'm pretty confident he would because, I mean, even when he wasn't running so well and the team wasn't put playing uh, that great a game of football, he was still um, he was still getting his mid-20 possessions. So... I think with the team fully functional and firing and playing a good brand of football, um, he'll step it up and he'll look a better player. So uh, I have real confidence in what he's doing. And, uh, yeah, I think he's just a big benefactor of having two extra big bodies next to him in the midfield as well. Yeah. You mentioned Polek, and I thought he was brilliant as well. I had him best on ground at halftime. I had him best on ground at three-quarter time. I thought he fell out of it a bit in the last quarter, which led to a few other players sort of... uh, leapfrogging him a bit but um, you know he was just so clinical in his disposal and, and the way he played the way he put his body on the line uh, and the things he was doing in, in um, tight contests especially like deep against the boundary line and how he would work the ball free uh, and run off with the ball he did it about six or seven times and uh, he was great he's in wonderful form at the moment and let's hope he can stay fit well, he's moving like he's fit, so uh, I wouldn't... Uh, I think there's just a bit of skullduggery with the rumours at the moment. And, uh, yeah, it's uh, he's a great player and he, we need him. You know? And, uh, yeah, he'll be an amazing player to watch this week in the showdown. So, uh, yeah, it's... Well, it's we're getting back to where we were a couple of years ago and it's uh, why we had that form dip, I don't know. But, you know, we're looking good, but it's only two games, so... This, this week, the next two games are bloody tough. So they're very tough. I mean, look, no one would have thought we'd be four and zero. I think it's still a bit very massive call to think that you know we might be four and zero because uh, I think we could quite easily be two and two if we get away get ahead of ourselves, which um, uh, which we don't want to be because I hate to say it, but the Crows are a very good football side at the moment. And no, I don't they're know. playing exceptional football, and uh, GWS also played very, very well against poor opposition on the weekend as well. So the next two weeks are going to be bloody tough, but um, look, if we can put in two very good performances the next two weeks, then um, you know it's uh, certainly looking up for the uh, for the season as a whole. Um, I guess we'll talk a little bit more about the defence. As I said before, it's probably the best team defence performance I can remember for a very, very long time. Um, you know, they, they all beat their opponent. None of their forward line had any space to work in. Uh, Kirsten had a nightmare. McCarthy was stuck on about two or three disposals until the last quarter. Uh, Waters missed a few chances. And they really had nobody else stand up because um, we didn't allow them to. 
No, and it goes back to what Nathan Bassett was saying last week, which uh, we spoke about as well, is yeah, you can get away with not having that really tall defender if you've got a team defence where there's not many one-on-one marking contests. And that's been probably the real uh, key differentiator for us this year to the last two seasons is that you know, there hasn't been many, many one-on-one marking contests. You know, the, they've got the right structure back there, so they're able to collapse around where the ball's dropping. And, uh, yeah, and I think that comes to... I'm just having a look at what we're doing because it's you, near you there. You are right. You are very, very right in the terms that there's uh, there's very few um, one-on-one contests anymore. Like, we we are making sure we get multiple numbers to each contest inside the forward 50 to, to kill the ball, which is great. And uh, it's very rare over the first two games um, that we've seen one of our defenders one out and left alone. Correct. Correct. And you, you can just look... I'm just sort of watching the replay here now, and you can just see that, yeah, the, the positioning just then with this play where Freya just got a goal through a loose crumb, but, you know, the structure was well enough that Jonas was able to come back and support Darcy Byrne-Jones and not allow a pure one-on-one contest. And uh, so, the you know, Bassett's really got the positioning of the players perfect at this point in time. And I guess, as we just intimated, the next two weeks with a higher-quality opposition... Um, after this week's uh, poor performer, uh, will really show how the defence handles the uh, the better opposition again. Yeah. Uh, the Ryder versus Sandilands battle. Who do you think won that one? Uh, I don't know. What did you say? I thought it was maybe break even. Yeah, I, I said think... on the forum uh, that it was kind of like watching a uh, a Grand Slam final, which has you know gone for four hours and is into the fifth set sort of thing. It it was very very even. I don't think anyone really beat the the other one too convincingly. I will say that um, I thought that when Ryder was winning taps and we were getting clearances, our clearances ended up going very, very deep inside our forward 50, whereas Frio's clearances were more the sort of kick and hope out of the pack sort of thing. Uh, so I think in that regard, I think we certainly won the midfield battle and therefore I think uh, Ryder probably won the points. Yeah, I mean, it's natural to say, isn't it? Because we won the game, so you'd probably give him the edge. But I don't think it was a domination, that's for sure. Um, no, it wasn't a but... domination, but uh, you probably edged him out in the end, which was great because we needed him to do that because we know how that's... damaging Sanderlands can be. We know how much ball that Frio's midfield uh, can get. Uh, but we didn't really allow them to get any clean uh, breakaway clearances, which was wonderful. Absolutely. So who was uh, your game changer on the weekend? The game changer. Uh, let's go with... I'm going to go with Pollock. Okay. Yep. He was a, he was my game changer because, like you said, first three quarters, he was probably best on ground. Yep. I know that's hard to say with Robbie Gray kicking as many goals as he did at, by that stage, but... I just thought his run and carry and his line breaking ability was uh, was amazing, and uh, yeah, he was he was one that was really breaking it open for us. Yeah, I'm going to say my game changer is Robbie Gray. To have him in good form and play that way, and to have him uh, be able to stay uh, in the forward sort of 65 to 70 meters for much of the game. Uh, it's such a great thing for the rest of the forward line. It really opens things up. He's such a creative player down there. And for him to still end up with 30 touches playing off the forward flank, um, you know, just a phenomenal performance. Absolutely. And your X-Factor. Who was your X-Factor? 
my X factor. Jeez, uh, who was the X factor? Well, probably Robbie Gray mm. with the six with the six <laughs> with the with the six goals. I mean, a great forward performance plus the plus winning that much ball. But uh, I would go the Robster. He was my uh, my X factor. Mate, we've worked this out absolutely perfectly because my X factor was Polek. <laughs> uh, good call. Um, good call. Because I thought his run and carry was devastating uh, for the first three quarters, and I thought he was best on ground at that time. And uh, he ran them ragged and uh, just delivered high quality footy inside fifty, time in, time out, and uh, they had no answer for him. And uh, an honourable mention as an X factor for me is the coaching box. Yep. Right, because I mean, for people that regularly listen, I've been bagging out on the coaches for the last couple of years. And uh, I've been throwing a lot of accusations that the same, pretty much the same playing group from 13 and 14 has gone to water in 15 and 16. And I was very disappointed with the coaches. I thought we didn't have the structure there. We looked lethargic, you know, so we were even questioning Darren Burgess. And, uh, and I think the coaches need to look at, the, at themselves in the mirror at what the hell was going on. But, you know, after two games, it, it looks like they're actually uh, you know, starting to turn it around. So I think the, uh, I think the coaches should get an honourable mention for an X-Factor for what they're oh, doing. Oh, for sure. No doubt. You know, it's a bit of a cliche, but it's, uh, I think there's been a lot of soul-searching at the club. And uh, even Kenny has said, you know, it's been a very tough pre-season um, you know, looking very much uh, introspectively and um, trying to find out what's gone wrong the last couple of years. And, you know, as we've said, it's very early days and you want to keep the lid on. But, um, you know, we've just looked so impressive through the first two weeks and more impressive than I ever thought we would, um, which is wonderful. And uh, hopefully we continue that on. Isn't there some random stat, like, after X amount of rounds usually the top eight doesn't change much. Yeah, I think that's but, usually at about round nine or ten. Is it? I thought it was yeah. even earlier than that. No, I don't think so. The only reason I bring it up is because it seems seems quite weird. There's, you know, Because normally there's only, what, on average one, maybe two changes to the top eight each season. Yeah. Um, you know, and at the moment there's, what, there's four teams that, weren't in finals that are looking pretty good at the moment. And, I mean, obviously, it's only round two, I get that. But um, I wonder if it might be a season where there is a bit more dramatic change in the top eight compared to years gone by. Uh, Maybe. Maybe. It's hard to say. Look, I think um, there's probably no doubt we'll drop off at some point. Um, Richmond will definitely drop off. Um, I don't think there's (laughs) any doubt about that. Uh, Melbourne, I would expect to... uh, to fall somewhere through the middle at some point, and uh, maybe Essendon as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's certainly an interesting top eight at this point in time. It is. I'm not Same sure way. many people would have thought that Hawthorne and Sydney would be sitting uh, zero and two. No, I didn't. Mm. But I'm happy to. I'm happy to see it. And I don't think many people would have uh, predicted that Frio would be just this bad. And I think Brett Eddy needs to get a haircut. I don't know what's going on there. Mate, that is... Look, for someone who uh, started losing hair at about 12, um, that's a good hairstyle. I like it's it. A, it's like a 90s rock band style he's got going <laughs> on there. It is. That's it. Well, I think that's it for this evening, mate. Awesome. I could, am I allowed to eat my dinner now? You can eat your dinner now, yep. 
Yes. What about your top five, Macca? Oh, top five? Oh, look, all played well. Very hard to do a top five on that performance, I think, mate. But uh, All played well. All played well. You'd probably look at um, Robbie Gray, Ollie Wines, Pollock. I thought Burn Jones was great. Ebert was great. Um, Would you have Dixon in there? Yeah, Dixon was great. Trengove was great. Cleary was great. We haven't even spoken about Cleary. I thought he was wonderful as well. Wow. Could you Everyone say, did their uh, job. Could you say two weeks in a row the leaders have actually stood up again and and taken the game by the horns? Oh no doubt. Yeah, you just look at the leadership group and you know they all <laughs> they are all probably on the top ten players on the ground. So yeah, yeah, no doubt about that. Is Jackson back in the leadership group this year? Um, not sure. I think so. Um, yeah, I'll, I can't we'll try and get him. But... We'll try and get him on over the next couple of weeks, and we'll ask him. Yeah. Too easy. Oh, oh good. Gee, we'll light, on question, we'll light on questions tonight too. What's going on, people? Oh, we had five or six. Or do you just ignore them like always? Oh, yeah. I you know, ignore most of them, yeah. We know, we know how you like the power going to your head and the Mate, control. This is a power podcast after all, so <laughs> when, when in Rome, mate. Yes, when in Rome, eat Roma tomatoes. That's it. Well, until next time. Awesome. Coon the pair. Power. Ball. Spears an inside 50. Schultz comes hard. Flicks it out. Both get it be appropriate. The captain. That is gold class. <laughs> Leadership agrees with Travis Boat. He's better than ever.